Well, good morning. My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at Terra. Uh, we are coming up on the end of our summer series in Proverbs. Next week, Pastor Ed will close it out, and we'll also have baptisms next Sunday, four more uh, baptisms next Sunday. And then two Sundays from now, there's just a, a whole bunch of stuff going on here. Um, Pastor Ed will start a new series for the fall, looking at what it means to be a modern church informed by an ancient faith, something that's just really a big part of who we are here at Terra. That same day, you're going to see a whole new look and feel for Terra Nova from a graphics standpoint. Uh, our logo is changing. You'll see a different guide page design. You'll see new street signs and, and graphics on the screen and uh, everything just kind of sort of hitting the refresh button as we uh, get ready to launch Saratoga and to become a church in uh, two locations here in downtown Troy and then soon to be in Saratoga Springs, downtown Saratoga Springs as well. And so then the other big thing that's happening on September 9th is that uh, the Saratoga location for Terra Nova will begin to meet as a core group. And this is what we call the pre-launch phase. Uh, This is a time for that group of people to sort of work the kinks out, figure out who's doing what from a volunteer standpoint, uh, get ready for the public launch, which will happen on January 6th. 2013 in uh, downtown Saratoga. That core phase that begins on September 9th at 5.30 p.m., uh, that'll be happening at the facilities of our good friends over at Temple Baptist Church in Waterford. And uh, during that pre-launch phase this fall, we'll also be getting the space ready in downtown Saratoga Springs for our use. Uh, I'm actually signing the lease on that building this afternoon, headed out there after church today and uh, meeting with some of the folks up there to sign that lease. We're renting First Baptist Church, and it's one of the oldest buildings in downtown Saratoga. And we just think it's going to work out great. Um, So on Sunday mornings, it will continue to be First Baptist of of Saratoga. And then on Sunday evenings, it will become Terranova Church in Saratoga. And we'll do some things to the building that will make it our own, just like we do here in Troy uh, at Revolution Hall. So, And you know, there are just so many churches that have expressed support for Terra in going to Saratoga. And this is one of those times where you can look at what God is doing and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the global church really can be one body working together for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a a great thing to see. Please keep all of this in prayer. Uh, The fact is, is that God is giving us as a church more to steward over. And, And that makes it all the more important that we remain reliant on the Holy Spirit to guide us as we close one chapter in the history of Terra and begin to write a new one together. Uh, So thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your commitment in that. Uh, We need all hands on deck. Uh, Let's just pause and commit these things to God in prayer before we get into the Proverbs teaching today. Father God, we thank you so much for for what you're doing around the globe in in your church. And God, we we thank you that, that we get to play just a tiny little part in that here in the capital region. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would help us to remain faithful to what you've given us and that we would just grow in our desire to serve you more with what we have and to bring all that we have uh, to your kingdom and to bring it to the mission that, that you've called us to here. God, I pray that, that we would do so in a way that honors you every step of the way. Help us to be aware of of, of spiritual battles that will come about as a result. God, we pray for those people who will uh, be a part of the core that will be going up there in a couple of weeks. And, 
and we pray for those that are uh, in leadership. And God, we just ask that all of that would, would come together for your glory. We thank you so much for the opportunity to, uh, to expand the borders of your kingdom a little bit more. We thank you, God. Pray these things in your name. Amen. If you did not bring a Bible today, just raise your hand. Someone will bring one to you. And if uh, you do not own a Bible, you can keep that one. Uh, someone will bring up. Where are our ushers? There we go. They disappeared on us. All right, we got it. We're good. Keep them up for a little while. They'll get them to you. All right. Uh, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs this summer from a topical standpoint. And today we're asking the question, what does the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, teach us about money? Uh, money is one of those things in life that, uh, where bad decisions can have really long-lasting effects on, on our lives. You don't need to raise your hand here, but, but how many have fallen into the credit card trap where you, you, just, uh, you just got yourself into a whole mess of trouble and you've spent years digging your way out? Maybe you're still digging your way out. Uh, how many took on school loans that you really couldn't handle? Um, but maybe you were just too young and, and ill-informed to know any better. Um, we just spent, uh, we just paid off Amy's, my wife's college loans last year. She graduated from college 15 years ago, so don't do the math, it'll just depress her. Um, but how many people, right, you, you did that, right? How many people bought a house before you should have because banks were just, up until a couple of years ago, they were handing out loans to anybody with a pulse. Just, you know, anybody, here, take a loan, buy a house. Or you bought more house than you should have bought because the bank gave you more money than you probably should have loaned or borrowed. Uh, how many have bought a car because that new car smell just overpowered you, right? You're, you're in the dealership and, and that smell is just intoxicating and, and you, you're just grabbing a pen, like, let me sign the papers, please. Just let me take this car. That smell is so good, right? Uh, just a little side note here, if, um, if, if you're struggling with that, um, try to imagine the car with car seats in the back seat and, and Cheerios just pulverized into the floor and the cushions, because that's how it's going to look in about a month anyway. So it tends to help to just sort of put things in perspective. Big financial mistakes take, take years to undo. Uh, and more importantly, they keep us from being able to respond to needs around us. Uh, have you ever really wanted to uh, respond to a financial need in the church or uh, in your family and you realize that you just, you just didn't have the money to do so? Because by the time the bills were paid, there just was not that much left over. How many of you are really not contributing financially to the work of Terra Nova and, and you want to, but you feel like you'd have to choose between paying the rent and, and tithing? Or how about the other side of money management? Uh, a few of you are starting to see maybe some promotions at work or, or maybe you got recruited to another company and got a big raise that came along with that. And suddenly you find yourself making more money than you ever thought you'd make. And that's just not something that you had prepared yourself for. So now you're going through this decision process of, you know, do I increase my standard of living because I can afford to? Or do I redirect that money to other places, savings or investments, generosity? You were used to just getting by, and now you can afford to do a little bit more. 
Well, Proverbs has some wisdom for us, no matter where we fall on that spectrum of financial health or weakness. And we really do need to give our finances the attention that they're due. We should put time into this. And yet Jesus was quick in Matthew 23 to warn the Pharisees that they were more focused on money than other more important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. And so money is important and we need to give it the respect and careful treatment that it deserves. But we also want to be careful that we keep it in perspective with bigger issues. There is uh, some wisdom in that folksy, non-biblical phrase, it's only money, right? There is some wisdom in that. So let's get into Proverbs here, and let's start at a really basic level. Where does money come from? Proverbs 10.22 tells us that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And of course, anytime we we talk about being rich, we have to remember that if, if you have a toilet, you're rich. Right? If you don't wake up in the morning wondering if you'll have clean water that day, you're rich in terms of world standards. Our concept of, of wealthy versus poor is pretty messed up in the developed world. But even when we surpass that baseline of, of food, water, shelter, clothing, those additional riches may come from the Lord if they are truly a blessing because as we'll see in a bit, money is not always a blessing. Sometimes a person has a lot of money, but that's all they have. See, it's interesting. The second half of the verse says, he adds no sorrow with it. In other words, when money's a blessing from the Lord, it won't be accompanied with sorrow. How many celebrities and sports stars have suddenly found themselves just rolling in money, yet more miserable than they ever were before? When money is a true blessing from God, it does not come with sorrow. But the most important thing to establish here at the outset is that it is God who provides for us financially. It's not our bosses. It's not the the company we work for or the company that you started. It's not your entrepreneurial spirit, unless you want to talk about the fact that God gave you an entrepreneurial spirit. It's not your intelligence, unless you want to talk about the mind that God gave you. It's not your ability to read the stock market trends or your choice of just the right job. It is God who provides blessings for you through all of those things and more. And while we think it's a simple matter of provision of needs, God has a much bigger picture in mind. Let me tell you the difference in in seeing financial blessings as coming from God versus any other source. If God is the true provider of of financial blessings, then when you lose your job, you don't freak out because you know that God was meeting your needs before and he can keep on meeting your needs even while you're out of work. In fact, it's often during those times of seemingly reduced blessings when we really learn how to trust in God. And And it's often in those times when we see supernatural provision because we've reached the end of our blessings, so to speak, and we have to just leave our financial well-being in God's hands. If God is the provider of true financial blessings, then when you lose your college scholarship, or the stock market crashes, or the housing bubble bursts, and everyone around you is, is running scared, you can remain steady and confident in the fact that God 
knows your needs. If he pays attention to the birds of the field, how much more does he see us? We have a lot of people at Terra in their late 20s, early 30s kind of category. Uh, Many of you are starting to to think about saving for retirement years. At least you should. Maybe your employer has an investment program, 401k, 403b, IRA, insert your preferred combination of letters and numbers. And it's easy to put too much faith in your ability to save for the future. But if God is the origin of true financial blessings, then you will see uh, in your retirement accounts not something that you accomplished, but rather something that God accomplished through you. So that in your older years, you'll be freed up to serve him even more. I have a friend that I respect a great deal when it comes to financial decisions. He has a rule for himself when it comes to saving for the future. Whatever percent of his income is saved for the future, whether that happens through stock market investing, mutual funds, or or just building uh, the emergency fund, his rule for his family is that he, he has to give away the same percentage that he saves, either to his church or to other ministries or other needs that come across, um, come before him. So if he has a year where he's able to save, you know, 20% of his total income for retirement, he has to also give away 20%, meaning that he only lives on the remaining 60%. And the reason why he has that rule for himself is because he knows his own sin tendency to put more faith in the strength of his bank account and his investments than the strength of his God. And so it's easy to look at the person who spends a lot and say, oh, he or she cares too much about money. It's obvious. But the same can be true for the person who saves a lot. Sometimes it's not about what you do with your money, but how you do that and the attitude that you do it with. Money can make us feel secure. And sometimes the desire for more money or more security in money, actually holds us back from freely obeying God. And you know what happens then? Sadness. Sorrow. What does the verse say? God does not add sorrow to riches. We might, but he doesn't. If you're a, if you're a workaholic, you're demonstrating a belief that, that you've got to work so hard to provide your own riches not God. If you find yourself compromising biblical values at work to keep your job or to make a little more, you are demonstrating a belief that you are creating your own blessings, not the Lord. If finances are are only a source of sorrow for you, you may be demonstrating that you're, you're holding on too tightly instead of trusting that God knows your needs. 1 Timothy 6 tells us that some people craving money have pierced themselves with many sorrows. But here in Proverbs, we read that the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. But we have to pay the bills, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we need money to pay the bills. And nobody really enjoys that. I mean, have you ever turned to your husband or wife and said, pay the bills tonight? It's going to be exciting. Let's put on a movie. We'll pop some popcorn. 
paying the bills. It's going to be a good night. I don't know anybody who feels that way. Um, But it has to be done. And sometimes you go through times where you're just not sure how it's all going to work out. You're trying to figure out, do I I pay this bill now or or should I wait a week and, and pay that one then? And when's the next paycheck? And how do I work all these pieces out? I've had those times. Sometimes those were, were struggles that were brought about through my own stupidity or bad financial decisions or bad financial leadership in my household. And sometimes those periods of struggle were honestly just completely out of my hands. And even though it was hard in the moment and maybe there was even some despair in the moment, the struggles that I caused ultimately served to teach me to be more careful with money in the future. And the struggles that God allowed served to teach me that he can and should be trusted. That he really is my provider. That he really does need to be my source of security when it comes to finances. So where does money, riches, provision come from? It comes from the Lord. And how does he deliver that to us? Well, for most of us, we're going to see God's provision through just simple, plain, hard work. God provides you with, with work, and you work that job, and you, and you get finances to do the things that you need to do. Proverbs 10.4 says that a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And I don't want to go too far on this, because uh, Pastor Ed is going to do a whole sermon on the sluggard next week. Um, Ironically enough, on Labor Day weekend, um, just kind of happened. But uh, let me point out that Proverbs is clear that sometimes there's a connection between poverty and a poor work ethic. Now, we're not talking about the person who, who is disabled, who can't work, or the single mom with, with the deadbeat husband who takes off and leaves her to, to figure it out on her own. There are people who are working two or three jobs and are still in poverty. That's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about here. What Proverbs is talking about is the person who is just lazy. That's what it means to have a slack hand. You're just, just lazy. And there's often a correlation between someone who's lazy and someone who is, who's also poor. It will result in poverty. My parents taught me this very early on as a kid. I remember when I was about 10 years old, I saw this, um, we were out back to school shopping, I think, for the fall, and I saw this pair of pants that I really wanted. I know it's, it's stupid, but um, they had like 800 zippers all over them. This was, um, you know, mid-80s, Michael Jackson's tearing it up on MTV back when MTV showed videos. And, um, so I asked my mom if, I, if she could buy these pants for me, you know, for back to school, and she looks at the price tag and she's like... Whatever. <laughs> you can save your pennies, but I'm not, I'm not buying these pants for you, not at that price. So, you know, within a couple of weeks, I had a newspaper route, um, and I was delivering papers to my neighbors for the, the, uh, the Guelph Enterprise. I'm sure you've heard of that newspaper. It's the big, uh, the big paper in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. So I'm sure you've been reading that one. Um, you know, I think I ended up spending all of my money on comic books. Uh, I never did buy the stupid pants with all the zippers on them. Um, but my point is that my parents taught me a lesson. If I, if I wanted money, I needed to earn it. I couldn't just, you know, be a lazy kid sitting around watching TV on Saturday morning. Like, go and get some money. Go deliver some papers. Shovel a driveway. Find something. I needed to work. 
By the way, they also taught me what it meant to save some of that money and to tithe some of that money. If, if I made $10 on my paper route, the expectation was you're taking a dollar of that and you're bringing it to your church on Sunday. It's good lessons to teach your kids when they're young. In the same vein as the last verse we looked at, Proverbs 12, 11 says that whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Worthless pursuits. Have you ever known that person who always has some new scheme to make a ton of money? They've always got some new thing they just bought into. They've been watching the infomercials. They're getting all excited about selling some product, whatever it is. And, you know, and they always put those infomercials on in the middle of the afternoon and the middle of the night, which should tell you something about who they're targeting them at. And have you ever known anyone that has gotten rich off of one of those things? I mean, truly rich in the Western sense of that word. The fact is that most of the time, hard work precedes income earning. It's that simple. In fact, in the next chapter of Proverbs, we read this bit of wisdom about money. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Isn't this what every financial advisor worth anything tells us? Little by little. Save a little every year, and over a lifetime, it will become a lot. Does it ever go well for the lottery winner who takes the lump sum? Within years, it's, within a few years, it's just gone. The money's gone. I remember this um, commercial for uh, an insurance company a few years ago. It had, had MC Hammer in it, right? He's out in front of his house, and he's, he's doing his dance. He's got the hammer pants on, he's, right? And then, like, the next scene is his Maserati is being towed away, and there's a big sign out in front that says foreclosure, right? It, it was over. It, the, the time was over. It was gone quickly. Um, he had his 15 minutes of, of fame. Now, most of us cannot relate to the person who wakes up one day to find that they're vastly richer than they were the day before. But most of us probably can relate to having a smaller sudden influx of cash. Maybe you got an unexpected bonus at work or an aunt left you a few thousand dollars in her, in her will. What did you do with that money? How long did it last? Did you buy something? Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to use unexpected resources for, for needs that, that come along. In fact, sometimes that's God's way of providing for you. But the proverb is still proven true, isn't it? Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Think of how many people during the the housing boom suddenly realized that their house was worth a whole lot more than they thought it was. And so they cashed in their equity for a new kitchen or a new bathroom or a vacation or a car that they thought they couldn't afford. It's an odd thing to suddenly find that you are way richer than you used to be. It's hard to make good decisions in that situation. You could get blinded by the dollar signs. It happened really easily. But by and large, in most cases, for most of us here, we will find that our income, our wealth building, our savings, our blessings will come, as Proverbs says, little by little. And you know there's good reason for that. It's in the little by little that God is able to build us up into something stronger in a strong and steady manner. And I'm not just talking about finances here. I'm talking about our character as well. 
See, I don't think God particularly cares how wealthy we are. He cares about our needs. I don't think he cares about riches so much as he cares about our, our ability to be generous. I don't think he cares about the money so much as the righteous character that can be built up in us through this tool called money. It's not about the money. It's about the character. It's about trusting God rather than, rather than ourselves. And isn't it the same in every other area of our life? Little by little, your marriage gets stronger. Little by little, you grow in maturity. Little by little, you become more Christ-like. Little by little, you learn to, to submit to the Spirit's voice in your life. Little by little, you grow in your understanding of, of, of God's character and, and grow to love him more. And so it only makes sense that for most of us, in most situations, it will be in the little by little that we see financial health come about. And yet some will find great wealth, right? Probably a few here will find themselves far wealthier than you ever expected to be. Proverbs eleven twenty four to 25 speaks to you. It says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters himself uh, will him, who, one who waters will himself be watered. This is such a great verse, and it applies to really everyone in this room, regardless of whether you see yourself as being rich or not. First, we see this person who gives freely, yet grows all the richer. And that phrase "gives freely" um, could be more literally translated one who, who scatters. Um, just imagine a, a farmer with, with seed just sort of scattering it. Now imagine a, a person with piles of money just kind of throwing it out to a crowd, right? Now I'm not suggesting that we, that we uh, have no um, uh, check on how we dispense money to, to needs, you know, that, uh, that there's never any check on that. That's not what I'm suggesting at all. What I am suggesting is that we can too easily hold on to our money too tightly, and dishonor that idea of, of giving freely. Giving freely. We need to be careful with that. So Proverbs shows us a person who scatters, who gives freely. And as a result, this person grows all the richer. And I want to be careful here that we, that we don't sound like the TV preachers who promise you that if you mail in $100, God will give you 1000 He may not. You may go bankrupt instead. But it does make sense that when God sees us being generous with our resources that he's entrusted us with as individuals, that we would then be a good candidate for receiving more resources. If we can handle $100 well, God might choose to give you $1,000 next. Or he might not. There are people throughout churches that are, that are just good at giving away what they have. We have several at Terranova. And it's not necessarily people who are unusually wealthy. It's about a mindset that says, I just don't need to hold on to this money too tightly. I can give it away freely, knowing that, that, that God will meet my needs. But it does seem that oftentimes those are the people in the church that God chooses to give more to. Because they've proven the ability to be generous. God used a, a visiting missionary to teach me this lesson when I was pretty young. I remember one night as a teenager, um, I was at the, the Sunday evening service 
um, at my church in Massachusetts. Um, we moved there when I was 12, and we had this missionary visiting from Eastern Europe, and he was talking about some of the needs that were, um, that were there in his ministry, and as is common when you have something like that, there's a, often a, a special offering taken up at the end called a love offering, and, and the expectation is that you would you know, make a donation that would go above and beyond your normal giving. And so the whole time this guy's talking, I sensed God saying to me, just give all the money that you've got in your wallet to this, to this love offering when it, when it comes around. I was also aware of the fact that I only had $5 left in my wallet, and that had to last until my next paycheck. Uh, I worked at a grocery store for minimum wage, which I think at the time was around three sixty-five an hour. And uh, I'd already made plans to go out with friends that night after church, and so I, I needed that money, right? I needed that money, um, kind of a loose use of that word. And that little voice in my head, though, is, we call it the Holy Spirit, kept saying, just give the $5 to, to this missionary when they do the offering. Just, just give it away. Just don't worry about it. But I didn't want to. I wanted to keep it for myself. And so here's this internal battle going on over this tiny little amount of $5, which didn't seem like a little amount when you're making less than $4 an hour. Finally, I submitted to the Spirit's leading, and I gave the money. And, and I wish I could tell you I was giving cheerfully, but I really wasn't. I was giving obediently, which is a start at some times, um, right? So the church ends, and, and my friends are, are all getting ready to go out to this restaurant, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't even have money to buy a soda and sit at the table with them while they order food and stuff. And I didn't want to be the guy who mooches off of someone else. And so I'm putting on my coat. And as I did so, I reached my hand into my pocket. But it didn't go into my pocket. It went into the interior portion of my jacket because there was a rip in my pocket that had somehow, I don't know how it got there. But So my hand goes into the interior of my jacket, and I feel what feels like money. And I pull it out, and sure enough, there's a $20 bill that had gotten lodged onto the interior of my coat through some rip in the pocket. Now look, I'm not saying that that God magically made a $20 bill appear in my jacket. Though certainly he could have, I am saying that God called me to be generous and give freely what little I had to just take this this little step of faith and within a matter of minutes, my needs were taken care of and then some. It was just this little lesson early on knowing that when I did so, I could rest in the fact that I had been obedient. And I can truthfully say that that my needs have always been met. Not necessarily my wants, but my needs have been met. Sometimes in what seemed like miraculous ways, but, but most of the time through simple hard work. I've always had food to eat. I've always had a roof over my head. Even if the, the food was a gift, and the roof was borrowed. I always had that at least. God's not chosen to make me a wealthy man by American standards, but he might do that with you. And if that's the case, you want to be the first person in this proverb, not the second. You want to be the person who, who gives freely and grows all the richer, not the person who, who withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I was talking with a friend one day in New York City who was making, at the time, extremely good money in the banking world. Uh, His commissions alone were in the six to seven figures range. I asked him point blank how he was using this money to be generous. His answer was that he was waiting 
until the money reached a certain level in his investments, and then he was going to start to be generous and, and start to give, give away to churches and other, other things. Well, you can imagine where this is going, right? This is pre-economic collapse. The economy collapses. He loses his job. His multi-million dollar home drops to half of its original price. And today, quite honestly, I as a pastor have more financial liquidity than he does. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. We have to be faithful and generous with the little amounts that we have and the large amounts that we have because when we are a blessing to others, we will often find that that blessing is restored to us. Verse 25 brings this to bear in a clear and simple way. It says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. But what about the rich person who who doesn't do that? What about those who seem to hold on to everything and and yet they continue to amass wealth? Proverbs speaks to that person. Proverbs 15, 16 to 17 says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Let's focus in on that word better for just a minute. It's so easy to look at at what someone else has and think, that's better. That's better than what I have. But better is such a subjective thing, right? How many wealthy people have expressed emptiness in their wealth and thought, I'd be better off if I just were a simple person living a simple life. There's a story about Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple computers and iPods and iPhones and iPads. He had never met his biological father. And then he finds out that his dad works at a restaurant that he'd been to actually a number of times. Here he has a chance to meet his dad as an adult, make amends, maybe create a relationship where there was none. His dad has no idea that he is the father of Steve Jobs. But Jobs pulls back from letting his dad know who he is. Why? Because he's afraid his dad will want his money. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. How sad for a man to die with his wealth intact and his soul broken. Of course, money can take us to even darker places than that, though. It's, it's one thing to lack generosity or to, to hoard your wealth out of fear that someone else might grab it. It's another thing to use wealth to intentionally disadvantage other people for your own gain. Proverbs 11.26 says that the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on him who sells it. I read this and I think there's going to be a special place in hell for um, the people who decide how much gasoline costs and how much gets released to the world, right? Um, uh, but think of the, this farming economy that would have existed when this was written. 
Grain is a basic necessity of life. And if you control the source, you can drive up the price and then reap the benefits. I read a great statement on this verse from an author named Bruce Waltke. He said, The righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to to advantage themselves. If people are hungry and the rich guy is holding back the food supply chain just to drive up the prices and make a few more bucks, that guy's not a savvy businessman making wise decisions to please his stockholders. That guy is evil. This kind of behavior looks nothing like the gospel forgiveness that Jesus Christ gave freely. Despite what Wall Street tells us, greed is not good. Greed is not good. We should not assume that what is good for the economy is good for our souls. Proverbs 28:25 says, "A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched." Greed causes conflict because the greedy person isn't content with what he has. He wants what you have too. And I think it's interesting here that that greed is contrasted with trusting in the Lord. You see an opportunity to gain a little more or to hold on to something that you already have rather than giving it away freely. So you get greedy. And as Christ followers, we are when we do that, what we're really doing in demonstrating greed is we're demonstrating a lack of trust in the Lord. When we lack trust that God can take care of our needs, we're tempted to hold back from giving freely to others in need. We're tempted to be greedy. And we might even be tempted to be dishonest. Proverbs eleven eighteen says that the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Have you ever cheated your employer by inflating the number of hours you worked to get more money? Have you ever falsified an expense report to get a bigger reimbursement? You who travel for a living, have you ever inflated your mileage worksheet to get a little more back? Those are deceptive wages. Deceptive wages. That's not what the righteous do. And that kind of action will not be rewarded. It could get worse. Proverbs 20, 23 says that unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. And false scales are not good. Now this this may not make sense in our world today. So let's do a quick history lesson. Until fairly recently in human history, if you bought something by the pound, the way that you knew how much you were buying was by putting that product on a scale and that was weighted accurately uh, with measured weights. So if you had a block of iron that you knew weighed five pounds, you were certain of it, and you put five pounds of potatoes on the other side of the scale, uh, you should balance out just right. You know you're buying five pounds of potatoes. But if you wanted to cheat people as the seller, you could falsify your scales with unequal weights. Proverbs goes so far as to say that this is an abomination to the Lord. That's, that's harsh. It seems like scripture is really harsh on people who have power, who use that power to cheat or disadvantage those without power. 
take advantage of people without power. There's something so perverse about dishonest gain that, that cheats and increases the poverty of those who are already in rough shape. It runs contrary to the nature of God. It runs contrary to the example of Jesus. It violates all that we see in Scripture. It is not consistent with the behavior of a spirit-filled follower of Christ who has the potential to be a blessing to others as a reflection of the gospel, but instead chooses unrighteousness. Here's the thing when it comes to money. We have the opportunity to look completely differently than the world around us. Money is such a driving influence in our culture that when we treat it differently, that gets noticed. When you live below your means to free yourself up to be more generous, to give more away, people pick up on that and they wonder, why would you live that way? Why would you buy a Honda when you can afford a BMW? Why would you buy a smaller house than you can afford? When you're generous, even when you yourself have needs, people notice that and they wonder, what's different about you? Why are you trusting in something other than your your bank account? When you treat wealth carefully and respectfully, almost like a almost like a viper that could bite at any moment, people see that you have wisdom. And they wonder what that source of inspiration or wisdom is. Maybe they won't notice it right away, but you do life with these people. You do life with someone, they're going to see that over time. When you make the financial decisions that run contrary to the wisdom of the world, that gets noticed. Money is just a tool to be used for God's glory. With it, we can demonstrate kindness, comfort, generosity, and trust in our Lord. I want to leave you with a couple more verses here as we end the sermon time. First is a proverb that's actually a prayer. It's the only prayer in the book of Proverbs, in fact. We find it in chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. Here's what the author of Proverbs asks of God. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's an interesting prayer. Don't make me rich. Don't make me poor. Both have dangers. Just keep me dependent on you, God. That's true wisdom. And whether we live paycheck to paycheck or find great wealth in this world, the most important thing of all is to recognize that none of it, none of it really compares with the riches that we find in Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul here is addressing the church in Philippi and he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then skipping down to verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We're going to take communion together. and This is the time in our service when we celebrate the riches of Jesus Christ as God generously provided salvation and forgiveness to all who call on his name. The gospel is given freely. 
It is scattered. It's not held in a bank. Christ's blood was poured out generously on our behalf to cover our sin and our shame. And no matter what our financial state on this earth, when we stand before God, we are rich indeed because of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ today, you'll have two songs to come forward for communion. Take the matzah, dip it in the wine or juice, depending on your conviction, and rest, rest in the riches of Christ. Let's close. Father God, we thank you that you have given us this task of stewarding over some resources while we're on this earth. God, I ask that you would help us to grow in our generosity to others, to needs that come across our eyes, that you would allow us to be a blessing to others. God, I pray that we would do so to your honor and to your glory. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.